Welcome to HB Media Minute, a podcast from Haynes & Boone that focuses on legal trends impacting the media and entertainment industry, intellectual property, and First Amendment law. Today, we're going to explore First Amendment issues related to a common occurrence these days, offensive social media posts. It's a good topic given the rise of so-called cancel culture, where someone can increasingly be fired or deplatformed for an offensive tweet or Facebook post. We're going to look at this issue in a particular context, the government workplace, where there is a body of law addressing interesting questions, including when do employees enjoy free speech rights to make comments that some or even many would find vile and offensive? And even if an employee's speech is protected by the First Amendment, can the employee still be fired or disciplined? As we'll talk about in this area of law, courts have had to balance free speech rights with employers' right to maintain workplace standards and efficient operations. It's a really interesting and fraught balancing act. We're also going to look today at a recent case involving a racist Facebook post by a Brooklyn court officer, which offers a graphic example of how these issues can play out. I'm joined today by Haynes & Boo partner Laura Prather, who is the head of the firm's Media Law Practice Group and a returning guest to HB Media Minute, and also Alicia Pitts, an associate in Haynes & Boone's litigation practice in the Dallas office. Before we get started today, our usual disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only, is not intended to be legal advice, and does not establish an attorney-client relationship. The topics we discuss are subject to change. Legal advice of any nature should be sought from your legal counsel. Okay, with that aside, Laura, I'm going to uh, start off today, uh, you know, by asking you about the government workplace. As I said, we're going to focus it in, in, in that context. And I'd like you to, if you could explain why the legal standards governing that setting different, differ from the rules that would apply to say a private uh, employer. Sure. Thank you, Nathan. And, and so it's, this is a fascinating area of the law. I mean, basically we have the first amendment, which guarantees for the most part that the government can't punish or limit one's speech rights. And so the First Amendment doesn't impact the ability of private employers to set their rules, but it grows more complicated when the government is the employer. Um, Basically, like any employer, the government has a legitimate interest in maintaining their efficient offices and agencies And so that may require managing and disciplining employee speech, but at the same time, because it is the government and the government has to comply with the constitution, it's not permissible for the government to have, for government employees to have fewer free speech rights than a private citizen that's not employed by the government. We've got more than 20 million Americans who work for the federal, state, or local government, and their constitutional rights are important as well. And so the courts and the law attempt to balance these interests between the employer's interest in maintaining their efficient office and workplace, but also the government employee's right to speak freely. And, and I would, can only imagine that the balancing uh, is, is growing more common as there are so many more ways for employees to communicate in ways that might concern a government employer. Absolutely. And, and the ways in which government employees speak on social media in particular 
It is impacted as to whether or not the employee is speaking on a public Facebook page, for instance, versus a private Facebook page. These issues of public access to the information become much more complicated. Let me ask you if you could to, to lay out the, the the kind of the broad contours of the legal framework that the Supreme Court has established to to uh, determine whether a public employee has engaged in speech that is protected by the First Amendment. Sure. So the, so what's happened is the courts have have implemented a balancing test. It's basically a three prong test. Um, that they apply in situations where a governmental employee is making a claim that their free speech rights have been impeded in the workplace. Um, And so the government employee can only state a First Amendment claim if three things apply. If he speaks as a citizen, a private citizen, so it's not speech made in the course or scope of them Uh, the employee's official job duties. So they have to be speaking as a private citizen. That's number one. Uh, But even if they are speaking as a private citizen, they also have to be speaking about a matter of public concern. And so matters of public concern are those things that are speech about matters of political or social significance to the community, something that's a legitimate news interest. So if those two things are met, they're speaking as a private citizen and they're speaking about a matter of public concern, then the court says, okay, you've you've met the first two things, but we're going to also look to balancing the government's interest in promoting the efficiency of public services that it offers versus your employee rights. And so they look at whether or not the government employee's speech that was made in the private, as a private citizen about a matter of public concern is actually causing the governmental entity to not be able to operate efficiently. In other words, are they getting complaints about it in the workplace? Are they having to have responsive measures taken? Has it damaged the public's perception of the office? Is it causing the public to question the entity's ability to be impartial? Things like that get factored in to this three-part analysis. To make sure I understand the first part, the reason speech uh, that's uh, as by a citizen rather than, uh, you know, if if a court deems the, the speech at issue to be in the course and scope of employment, if if the person is speaking as an employee, do courts just consider that more an employment law matter rather than a First Amendment issue? Is that why there's a distinction between speech as a citizen versus an employee? Yes. Okay. Alicia, I'm going to ask you about the, this this ish, this matter of public concern. Um, and love to get your thoughts on, you know, why that's why that's afforded greater protection and what sorts of topics that courts have, have deemed qualify for, for the label of public concern. Yeah, Nathan, thanks for asking. Um, so I think that this principle, this requirement in um, the three-part framework that the Supreme Court has established really harkens back to the policies underlying the First Amendment in general, um, one of which is having a well-informed citizenry. 
So in a democracy, you know, citizens help the government or help make decisions and how the government will run. Um, and it's essential for those citizens who are helping in the decision making to be informed about the topic that they are voting on or, um, you know, promoting in the public sphere. So in the public employment context, um, what better way to encourage a well-informed citizenry on public issues of and issues of public concern than um, to hear the opinions and perspectives of those who are most familiar and acquainted with the issues that are coming up. Um, so a few examples of matters of public concern that courts have established in previous cases um, include the a public school teacher sending a letter to a local newspaper regarding a proposed tax increase. So the court held in Pickering that a proposed tax increase, a, a teacher's thoughts on the tax increase that would be going to fund public schools is definitely a matter of public concern. And having that teacher's thoughts on the issue would be extremely important to the public in their voting decisions. Um, as an additional example, things like the death penalty. So there was a case out of Florida called McCullers versus Malloy, in which a court clerk's office employee made a comment on Facebook, um, basically condemning the state attorney for choosing not to pursue the death penalty anymore. And that was held to be speech concerning a matter of public concern. Um, a few others might be, you know, the presidential election or perhaps some public health matters, especially in the COVID-19 era. It's it's really anything that could be of political or social importance to the citizenry of America at large. Is it, when courts are wrestling with this issue, is, do you think that's often the most difficult uh, part of the analysis to determine whether speech is a public concern or protected? You know, I, I don't think so. I think that the balancing test that Laura just described between um, the employee's speech rights and the rights of the employer to maintain efficient operations, that's often where the tension lies. I think the matter of public concern standard has been established for quite some time. It's basically the same one that courts use in, um, in defamation cases involving, you know, public figures. So I think, I think the difficult inquiry is more the third one. So if, if a court determines, just as an example here, an employee is, is speaking as, as a citizen on a matter of public concern, that would set the stage for this, for this balancing test between employees and employ and the right of employers to maintain workplace standards. So you have to get to the first two issues and then, and then that sets the stage for the balancing test. Is, is that the way it works? That's correct. Yes. Okay. Um, so can you give me some examples? What, what, what would tip in when you, when, when courts get to this balancing stage, what would, what kinds of things have they found will tip the balance in favor of allowing employers to, to discipline an employee for, for, uh, for a tweet or a social media post? Yeah, so as Laura sort of previewed earlier, um, things like, you know, discord between employees, not having a cohesive work environment, 
as a result of this speech. That can definitely tip the balance, as well as any sort of um, responsive measure that the employer has to take due to the speech. So maybe a press release or some sort of internal sensitivity training, something like that. Anything that really disrupts the operations of the office, that will tip the balance in favor of the employer. Um, And additionally, as Laura also mentioned, this is so much easier to establish when the employee's profile from which they made this post is public or identifies the person as an employee of the government employer. Um, Because, you know, when you're speaking out of anonymity, and the employer is not on the Facebook page, it's a lot easier for that post to not be associated with the employer and vice versa. For a few examples, uh, to make this a little bit more concrete, there's a case from Nashville where a 911 operator made a few racial slurs on Facebook. And the public saw it because she was identified as um, a public employee and her, her profile was open to the public. And in that case, she was fired over these um, posts and her termination was ultimately upheld because in her role as a 911 operator, it was extremely important for her to appear unbiased and also for the employer to appear unbiased in providing those emergency services and any sort of indication as a result of this employee's Facebook post that the employer would not provide emergency services to people who were in need was a huge deal and caused a major disruption to um, the public safety departments in Nashville. So I think those are probably the biggest things that come into play in this balancing test. You know, when it comes to courts engaging in this balancing test, do do employers tend to win more uh, of these cases than not, or is it just depends on the the facts of, of, of each case? No, I really think it depends on the facts of each case. Um, it's just given the way that the test is structured, I think it is a little bit more favorable to the employer because the employee has to prevail on all three requirements to state a claim, whereas an employer only needs to knock out one of the requirements to win. Um, so, I think that there's also been a bit of skepticism in some recent cases and some recent opinions on this issue. Um, There's a case called Bennett, which is out of one of the circuit courts. And um, in Bennett, I think it showed the tension pretty well um, in this case, in this sort of analysis, because um, it was a panel decision by the Sixth Circuit And although all three judges came to the same result, they all had different opinions. So they all got there differently. And I think it's a really good indication of sort of how difficult this analysis is to apply. Um, And skeptical of the employees free speech claims or or skeptical of the employers, uh, you know, need to maintain workplace standards or skeptical of both both claims. You know, I think it's kind of a skepticism of the test in general that courts use to address this sort of claim. Um, For example, in the Bennett case from the Sixth Circuit, one of the judges explained sort of the the strange balancing that has to go into one of these 
an analysis of one of these claims where in a usual First Amendment case, as the speech becomes more controversial, its protection really becomes more important. But here in the government employer context, it's so important for a government employer to be able to maintain its you know, appearance of impartiality or to maintain um, its proper functioning to ensure the public is benefited from its services, that the more controversial an employee's speech becomes, the easier it is for the employer to prevail on the efficiency interest part of the balancing test. Because if you have a more controversial um, Facebook post or whatever it is, that's more likely to cause relational strife within the company or within the agency. And then it's, of course, more, it's harder for the employer to manage. And it, it, it takes a bit more away from the efficiency of the employer's operations. Yeah, I mean, it strikes me as inherently tricky because when you think of a balancing test, you almost think that something that you can reduce to a mathematical formula. I mean, it seems like in you can clearly establish on one hand that employees have First Amendment protected rights. And on the other hand, that employers clearly have a right in maintaining workplace efficiency and public trust uh, in, in government agencies. And it's there's just two competing interests. And in how do you resolve that? Um, I guess, as you say, it's just you have to look at each situation. Yeah. And I think it's especially tricky when the agency provides something that is so important, like emergency services or, um, you know, the judicial branch, which has to appear impartial. So if a court employee says something that would shed a negative light on the court's impartiality, that's going to be a really big deal, even though under normal circumstances, the very controversial speech would be entitled to a lot of First Amendment protection. So. And, and, I, and I guess, as you say, the, the medium here becomes part of the analysis when you think about offensive speech or speech that's deemed offensive and it's put on Facebook or Twitter, it can quickly reach a large audience, which can make the speech all the more disruptive, I guess. Absolutely. Um, well, Laura, I'm going to I'm going to turn to you. I want to talk about this this Brooklyn case that we've referenced Um some recent reports, I guess, well, late last year surfaced about uh, it's a case involving a Sergeant Terry Napolitano, who's a former officer with the Brooklyn criminal court system. And she was fired last year for a really offensive Facebook post that depicted the lynching of a black man that resembled President Obama. And it had a caption that read, in part, uh, the American dream and we will not yield. And there were some hashtags in there. One was Obamagate and the, another one was hashtag treason. Um, a, after this surface, Sergeant Napolitano was investigated and later fired. There was an administrative hearing. Um, cu- curious to hear your thoughts you know, about that case and how would you apply the criteria we've discussed today uh, to, to that particular case? And do you think the, the right result was reached? Sure. So just looking at that three-part test, and this is this is a great case to kind of go through the analysis. Um, the first part of it, of course, is whether or not the governmental employee was acting as a private citizen. And so here we had Officer Napolitano posting an offensive uh, 
picture on her Facebook page, her public Facebook page. And there was also displayed on that public Facebook page a photograph of her in her court uniform over the caption, NYS, Court Officers Ceremonial Unit. So we've got picture of black man being lynched with hashtag Obamagate, hashtag treason, and a picture of this court officer in her uniform identifying the caption of NYS Court Officers Ceremonial Unit. One can say that, you know, this is her public Facebook page. She posted this post while she was not working. And so one can argue that this was speech that she made as a private citizen. And one can argue that it was about a matter of public concern. It's political in nature and about racial tensions in America, theoretically. But when you get to the third part of the analysis, the analysis where you look at the government's own interest in efficiently fulfilling their public services, and you compare that to this employee's interest in speaking freely, then you have to look at what the fallout from this Facebook post was. And I think the fact that it was a public Facebook page and and there was the photo of her in her court uniform really resulted in the significant fallout for the folks at the courthouse, right? The folks in the judicial system. Literally a day after this post was, was put up, the chief judge of the court system issued a memo to all of the state court staff decrying the allegations that were made by Napolitano because there was already this tremendous upheaval going on with people reacting to it. Um, You had the New York State Bar Association president two days later issue a statement um, talking about the fact that this is particularly troubling because it involved a court officer who has a sworn duty to protect court personnel and the public. And so the reverberations from this post were significant throughout the judiciary in New York. And then you also had people within the workplace in which Officer Napolitano comment, people who had worked side by side with this individual about the fact that, you know, it made them uncomfortable because for now, for all of the court officers who are committed to equal justice, you have this one racist or biased officer kind of poisoning that commitment and making a mockery of the promise of equal justice to all. And so those factors that you look at for the government's interest and whether the government's interest was interfered with were pretty significant in this case. They ended up having an investigation that lasted for months. There was significant evidence of interference with the ability to work with coworkers. And there was significant public outcry that damaged the perception of the court office. And so I think this is a perfect example of how the there was really an overwhelming demonstration of the adverse impact on the employer's ability to efficiently function after this post was made. And so I do think it was the right determination. But you can see this is, well, 
this is an extreme example, hopefully one not to be repeated, but definitely an extreme example where it's a pretty clear decision in this case. And I don't think all of them are. And I can see your point. The fact that she was wearing her officer's uniform, you could see how a member of the public might think, um, you know, was this somehow endorsed or is it, is this a feeling shared by other officers within the court system? And it's, um, you can see how this would, would cause uh, just a, a lot of reputational damage. Exactly. And, and not all of these cases are this, this open and shut the balancing. I mean, obviously balancing tests, <laughs> there are reasons why they're called balancing. <laughs> you're, you've got competing interests and so, you know, if the state, statement hadn't been so, uh, so you know, um, divisive, if she hadn't been wearing her court uniform, you know, if this hadn't been a branch of the judiciary where you're taking an oath to equal justice of all, for all, all of those things were factors in the decision that was ultimately made to terminate this employee. Just one more question, Laura. Just curious. I think this case, I think, was resolved by an administrative hearing. Is that the way these are typically handled? Do these often go to a, a, a court, or I guess it can sometimes just um, does it does it even uh, get resolved just by the employer employee before there's even any kind of hearing? Yeah. So, so obviously these things can take lots of different paths in, in certain branches of the government, it will be handled through an administrative proceeding, but the employee always has the right to file a civil lawsuit as well. And so if they want to ultimately file a civil lawsuit after the determination has been made, um, they can do that. And then you end up having a whole second round of, uh, determinations being made, um, by the judiciary. Well, Laura, thank you so much. Like it started off by saying it's such an interesting topic at a time where it feels like hardly a week goes by where there's not a, uh, you know, a Facebook post, a tweet or something that's really um, offensive and, and um, carries enormous consequences and repercussions these days. Um, so thank you for, for explaining this area of law. And Alicia, thank you also for, uh, for, we're talking about the balancing test that courts do uh, in this area. Uh, I, I just want to, before we sign off, I'd like to remind everyone that you can find our podcast and other interesting content from our IP and media and entertainment litigation practice groups at HanesBoon.com. In fact, there you will soon find, if it's not already posted, the April edition of the firm's media, entertainment, and First Amendment newsletter, which features an excellent article from Laura and Alicia on today's topic. It's a great companion piece to, to the podcast. Finally, a heads up that you can also find this and other Haynes and Boone podcasts on most popular podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Thanks, and I hope you'll join us for our next episode of HB Media Minute.